Dr. Marjorie Stiegler is a physician executive and veteran entrepreneur with over 10 years of online business experience in academia, industry, and nonprofits. She teaches us how to hone our online presence so it shines a spotlight on our brand, attracts the right audience, and allows us to build our businesses. We learn what to outsource without muddling our message, and if we are interested in public speaking, how to start dipping our toes in that arena. And I think I'm going to do that. Dr. Steeler is currently an adjunct associate professor of anesthesiology at UNC Chapel Hill, director of digital strategy and member of the board for the Anesthesia Patient Safety Foundation, an examiner for the American Board of Anesthesiology, a professional member of the National Speakers Association, creation of the RX series, which is now CME accredited virtual courses for physicians, host of the Career RX podcast, and chief strategy officer and co founder of the Transformed MD live retreat. She enjoys helping other doctors turn the work they love into more rapid career advancement and profitable businesses that pay the bills via digital strategy, be it to grow a medical practice, land a non-clinical job, get booked as a keynote speaker, or actually earn an income with a physician side gig. Find her at MarjorieStieglerMD.com. Welcome to the Physician's Guide to Doctoring a practical guide for practicing physicians. Dr. Bradley Block interviews experts in and out of medicine to find out everything we should have been learning while we were memorizing Krebs cycle. The ideas expressed on this podcast are those of the interviewer and interviewee and do not represent those of their respective employers. And now, here's Dr. Bradley Block. Before we get into the show, here's a quick message from Medevolve, a company that empowers physician practices to work smarter with data-driven services. Are you tired of dealing with headaches like finding and retaining quality billing staff, high turnover, and limited resources? Many practices are opting to outsource all or part of their billing processes to help relieve the burden on internal staff, free up resources, and reduce overhead costs. For those who wish to keep billing in-house, it's critical to have solutions that provide automation and give you the ability to monitor staff productivity and effectiveness, especially for remote employees. Medevolve can help you leverage data and AI solutions that bring answers to the forefront and take the guesswork out of revenue cycle management. Let them show you how. To have this great company help you work smarter, reduce your cost to collect, and get paid on time, find them at drpodcastnetwork.com slash medevolve. The link is also in the show notes. Dr. Marjorie Stiegler, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me today, Brad. So it seems like physicians, when they're working on their brands, really can have two distinct objectives. One would be related to the practice of medicine, right? So like you're a, uh, you're a plastic surgeon and you want to be known as the preeminent deep flap surgeon, uh, whereas some of us, yourself included, have a brand that is separate and distinct from the practice of medicine. It's not like your brand isn't related to your being an anesthesiologist. It's related to your helping physicians to be able to clarify their brand and their intentions and expand their lives beyond just what they do in the exam room. So when we're thinking about those brands, when we're honing them, how does that different? How do we approach them? differently? Yeah, that's a great question. I think actually you approach them the same way. You approach them with your audience in mind. So they will be different approaches, but they will be, you know, the strategy is the same. The tactics are different. The strategy is going to be the same, which is you'll need to identify the people that you are intending to reach 
and you'll need to be speaking their language. And I mean that sort of both literally and metaphorically. Uh, so you want to literally use the words that your intended audience uses. And so you mentioned, you know, plastic surgery and in, a, in an academic plastic surgery journal, the types of titles and keywords that you would likely see are a lot different than what a, a person might be searching online when they are researching their local best plastic surgeon for a particular type of procedure. And because those words are different, the entire uh, online strategy from you know, marketing, social media, blogging, or website, or whatever the case may be, um, even including paid ads, has to really be aligned with speaking the language of the intended customer. And that, that customer is going to be uh, different depending upon your stated goals as you just sort of laid them out. So it seems like this all gets back to SEO, right? Like it's not just, because when I think of SEO, I'm probably thinking of it in the bluntest terms possible. It's just throwing as many words onto a page as you possibly can so that that you come up first in the Google search. But what you're saying is, well, choosing those words carefully so that the person that's searching them, your intended audience, you know what they're going to be searching. And so those are the words that you're going to use so that when they search, not when anyone searches, but when they search, you're the one to come up. That's right. And, and it's a little bit of a matchmaking process. And what you were describing there is kind of old school search engine optimization, where people thought a lot about keywords that would get a high rank. And then they did what's called stuffing, right? Is where you try to put as many of those keywords in as possible uh, without sounding ridiculous. And that's part of the reason why if you look for recipes online, you'll notice that every recipe is preceded by an incredible dissertation, some epic story. Oh, right? that it drives me nuts. I just want to make <laughs> my kids pancakes. Right. And, and I've got to read the family history of this person's chia seed pancake. Yeah, and what's buried in there for, for the folks who don't realize is that's their, that's their opportunity to say something like homemade buttermilk pancakes 800 million times for search engine optimization. And they wrap it up in this story. The important thing though, is that at the end, you do have to get to the pancake recipe. And so that's the other half. You've got to use the words that your intended audience is using, and then you have to give them what they're looking for when they land on your website. Because part of search engine optimization is not only having the words so that Google and other search engines know to deliver it, but the other part that may even be the more important part is that when a person sees it, when they're served your website and they choose to click on it, they better find something they like when they land or they'll bounce immediately, right? They'll leave as you have surely done, you know, as a person searching the internet, you find something that sounds like it's the answer. You click on it immediately. It doesn't appeal to you for whatever reason. It might be the content, it might be the style and you're out. And when you're out, not only are you therefore not potentially a customer of that website, but Google takes note of that and says, well, this actually wasn't that great for a person searching that phrase because that person left right away. And so that's an N of one and the algorithm is obviously much more complicated and is an N of many, but in a simplified way, that's why it's really important to you know, really know, really know the audience that you intend to speak to and you have to be precise about it. You cannot try to roll everybody into one because you, you want them you know, you want them to find you and you want them to recognize themselves when they land on your site and say to themselves, like, this is exactly where I want to be. I'm going to stay a while. And that is what is sort of perpetuating and helps you to continue to rank well for those search terms. 
So you can't think of SEO as writing only for the search engine. You really do have to be writing for your audience. Interesting. That's be, <laughs> what I do sometimes is I'll run an episode through Otter AI and have it transcribe poorly my episode. And then I just throw it up on the website with a disclaimer of don't read this because it hasn't been vetted and it is not useful for you just to get a higher ranking. But it sounds like that might not be might not be the best approach. Okay. Well, it might be. So here's the thing that if your content of your episode is you've carefully chosen your words, you know, kind of what phrases you want to focus on, and you've been deliberate about those phrases. So therefore, then you're also saying them frequently because they truly are relevant to what you're talking about, and they'll be repeated. Uh, and there will be, you know, synonyms and other related keywords. And that will be woven all throughout your episode because it is actually what you're talking about, right? It's 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 not just by design, but it's also uh, by default, right? That, yeah. that is the content. Then if you put the transcript up there, it can it can potentially help you quite a bit. Certainly helps more than having no words. So if you're not doing much in the way of show notes and things like that, then a transcript can help. Where, where it won't help is if you haven't given a lot of deliberate thought to how your intended audience verbalizes the type of thing you're talking about. And you just, you know, spend 15, 20, 30 minutes or however long your episode kind of willy nilly, then your transcript will reflect that. And it probably won't be especially weighted in any particular keywords. And then it may not help you because it won't be, it, it it's not really a representation. It's just not a very thoughtful representation of what you've been talking about. And what you might do in retrospect is take a couple of your episodes where you you know, feel that way and take a look at it and say, okay, if I were going to do a substitution here where I just got a little bit more streamlined about my word choice, if you could find that, that you would substitute some words out and use a different phrase, then maybe do a new podcast episode with that different phrase and see if that attracts more viewers or more listeners rather, um, because, you know, not because it's search engine stuffed, but because that's the phrase that they think of. Got it. So I have to get in the head of my avatar and use the words that I think they would use rather than, this actually works out really well for me because I'm my avatar. So the words <laughs> that I use are the words that I use and therefore, it because it, it, it sounds a little bit like the, the, the tail wagging the dog, depending on what you're doing and why you're doing it, right? Because at least for me, I podcast to podcast. I don't podcast in order to have someone find my course, but if, or, or uh, keynote speak or, or, you know, anything like that. So, but if you were, then what you're saying is make sure that you're methodical about your choice of words and that you're using the words that your listener would use. Also, I think, you know, from a persuasion perspective, right? Mirroring, right? Using the words that they use, you want to do that with our, we want to do that with our patients as well, right? When our patient says something, using their words back to them shows them that you were listening and understand what they're saying. So it's, I think it works in both contexts. Yeah, absolutely. It does. So we've already got into SEO. So let's explore that a little more, right? So the physician online space is pretty saturated. So we can hire, if we're hiring someone to optimize our SEO and manage our social media and kind of everyone's doing that, right? How do we really separate ourselves? Because it looks like we're all, it's an it's like an arms race and we're all escalating our arms race. 
Well, it's interesting that you said that the space feels saturated. Sometimes it does feel saturated, uh, but I think that's that's distinct from search engine optimization. I mean, let me linger on that for a second, and then we'll come on back. You know, what, you don't always have to abandon the words that you've chosen. For example, I talk about professional branding all the time, and in some ways, I'm trying to build that marketplace because it occurred to me long after I started, you know, talking about it, speaking about it, that that's really not the phrase that most physicians use. It's becoming more popular in recent years. But when I first started talking about it, that's really not what people were talking about. They were, however, talking about professional development and career advancement and things like that. These are basically synonyms. They were talking about message mapping and negotiating and framing, right? This is all professional branding, but it's not helpful by people who want information on how to set themselves up for a great negotiation with their boss and their annual review and how to frame their work so that it brings the most value, you know, and gets them more of what they want because they're contributing in a high value way. They aren't searching online, you know, how do I do professional branding? There was a disconnect there. It had I, you know, could I go back to the beginning and maybe make a little bit of a tweak? I might've done that a, a little bit differently, but I ended up choosing that phrase. I stuck with it. And I think, you know, it's catching on, not just for my own work. I think branding is catching on in general um, as a concept, right? Not a graphic design, but a way in which you present yourself professionally in your value proposition. But that for me is where there's a little bit of a disconnect in, in search engine optimization because that's the name of my course, right? The branding prescription. Um, it is the name of a lot of my articles, videos, and podcasts pull in professional branding and personal branding. So that's not going to get hits uh, from people who are searching for something like career development. So I have to make a pretty concerted effort over time to be sure that people know what I'm talking about and to be sure that I'm using those other phrases that really aren't my preferred phrase, but they are my customer's preferred phrase, right? They're my audience's phrase. And so I need to speak their language in order to teach them something. Eventually they'll be speaking mine. And to expand on that, also you're you're saying, you had alluded to it earlier, once they've found your page, we need to make sure that they stay there. So using their language, not just to attract them to your page, but using their language to, to keep them there once they're there. Because once they've found you, we want them to, to stick there. So they need, it needs to be in a readily accessible place for them to be able to identify it and then continue you know, further down your rabbit hole. That's right. And that's, that's so deeply connected to what you just asked about how do we sort of, can we outsource our SEO, for example? You know, anyone who's done a Google search or has considered starting a business or a side gig is probably well aware that there are a lot of companies and consultants who will sell you search engine optimization services. And so it seems really tempting to say, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and outsource my SEO because I don't know anything about that. But the problem is, if your SEO company doesn't know anything about you and about you as a, as a specific individual, like your style, right, your kind of flavor of business, uh, the the your perspective on things, not only what you're selling um, and who you are, but but what makes you sort of uniquely you. You're the only person who can really represent that. And the reason it's important is because when people do see your, your external content, so whether that's social media or it's your podcast, your blog or whatever it is, and they're interested and they say, yeah, you know, uh, the title of that post or episode sounds interesting to me. That is a problem I have or a curiosity I have. I'm going to come and listen to it. And then they hear you and they get this sense for who you are. You almost begin to feel like friends, right? Like they know you in some way. And then if they were to come book an appointment to see you, if, if you were growing your private practice, 
or if they were to take a course with you or book you as a speaker and you show up as a totally different type of person, it's almost a bait and switch, right? The reason that we put content out there for people to get to know us is so that they have had a sample. They've had a taste test, right? And they know. So I, my, my uh, students can be very assured that if they've enjoyed my podcast and they've watched a YouTube video or two, that they're going to get more of the same, you know, better, more comprehensive, but more of the same in my courses and that it's not going to be totally different. And because I speak in my voice, my brand voice is represented in my social media and on my website and everywhere else. That's exactly how that's, that's how I show up. That's what you get. If I were to outsource somebody to go through my website and change my wording around to match some sort of external phrase that they thought I would rank highly for and that they thought would convert to paying customers for me, that might also just change the meaning a little bit or change my personality or change the way in which I relate to people, which may actually end up backfiring because folks start to get confused then because your marketing doesn't seem like you or the you that they've purchased doesn't seem like the you that they got in their in the uh, free experiences. So I don't th- I, I don't think search engine optimization is as much of a sort of no brainer as people would like to think in terms of outsourcing. But isn't there? And, and I don't want to spend too much time just on SEO. But isn't yeah. there? Aren't there things that they do on the back end that don't even appear visible oh, yeah. on your page in order sure. to bring your increase your rankings? They do. They do. I mean, for so some things for as, as an easy example is a lot of people don't name their their images. So, you know, when the web bots are crawling your website, you know, they don't know what image 1267 is, right? They want the file name for the image to say something about what the post is about and about you, right? And, and so if you change your name, that's an SEO strategy to be sure that your image file name matches the keywords of the page on which it's displayed. So there's a lot of little things like that that like you're probably not doing and they might come and do that. But still, they would need direction from you to say this is, you know, these are the terms that I want to rank for. Not just popular terms, because then of course you're in competition with everybody else who wants to rank for those popular terms. But you want to rank consistently for terms for which you have the best content and in a way that reflects the way that, you know, you're going to speak. So it's not like SEO companies aren't, useful. They can be, but I think you need to understand some basic amount of the strategy first. And you ought to be telling the search engine optimization consultant what types of things you want to rank for. And I've, I've had many, many, many students, like more than I can even name, who have said, I hired an SEO company. And I said, great, what are you hoping to rank for? And they said, I don't know. So everything. <laughs> their company that they've hired, and I said, well, when are they going to begin work? Oh, they're done with it. Well, I don't understand how that happens. What what they've done potentially is helped search engine optimization uh, for the wrong things, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're going to show up on searches of things. Great, you're showing up in a lot more searches. People are not interested, and people that aren't interested in your content. So, yeah, you're showing up a lot, but in the wrong places. Yeah, and I think a good SEO company would probably address all this up front, right? They would probably agree with me on this. They would probably sit down their client and say, we need to understand you. But I've I've also seen, as you mentioned, this sort of market is saturated. We're in a day and age where just about anybody feels like they can claim expertise in just about anything. And so I worry, because I've seen a lot of our physician colleagues will outsource things to experts that I don't think are actual subject matter experts. And the physician students of mine 
don't know enough about the topic at hand, search engine optimization in this case, to realize that the person that they've hired isn't really an expert either. I get concerned about that in the coaching space, just because everybody seems to be a coach now. Yep. So that, you know, so what's your side gig? Well, I'm a coach. Well, how'd you decide? Well, I like coaching. <laughs> yep. Yep, that's absolutely right. I mean, yeah. you know, I'm not a coach. And people always ask me if I am a coach or if I do one-on-one sessions and stuff. I try to be really clear that I'm not. You know, it, coaching is one of those um, loosely regulated things where I think anyone really can claim coaching and they may well be skilled at it. I don't know. I'm, 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 this is certainly not me criticizing the coaching uh, industry or any of our coaching colleagues, but it is a good example. But it's where... hard to separate, right? Mm-hmm. Except except for maybe by referral, right? And that seems to be, because I, I asked this actually of my guests, uh, particularly the ones that are coaches, like how do you identify an, an appropriate coach because that space seems to be exploding and, and referral really seems to be, or find someone who's doing what you want to do and then you know, see if they can become your coach or their mentor, find out who their coach or mentor was. So, you know, I think there's some some element of survivorship bias to that. So they might be giving you advice that worked for them that might not work for you. But yeah, it's, it's, it's tough to parse through all that. You know, it is. But the other thing that I think is important to keep in mind is that although the, the market seems saturated with a lot of folks, and it's not always clear, you know, that that is an important watch out. If you're going to be hiring somebody or taking a course or otherwise investing uh, with anybody, it's important to ask about their track record. So, you know, I, I know a handful of people who are um, physicians turned, you know, business consultants kind of thing, like small business side gig types of things. And I know from working with them that they themselves have never turned a profit with their own side gigs. So that strikes me as, you know, it's an interesting marketing position to say that you're a consultant or coach in a certain area in which you haven't had your own success, right? Your own demonstrated success. Um, and, And sometimes that's different. I mean, I do understand certainly that in coaching, a lot of coaching is not directive and it's not advice based, right? It's sort of more guided. And, and I think, so anyway, it's just a general word of caution. And when I think about my own students, and I think about some of the reservations that they have when they come to me and they want to learn more about what I offer, uh, a lot of the questions will be around, you know, how, how do you know that this works or, you know, what experience do you have? And I've been doing this for quite a long time now, close to 10 years. So I do have my own success stories and my own students' success stories, which helps to make people feel much more uh, reassured, right? Because there's something behind. So I didn't just like throw up an online course and, you know, hope for the best. There's something kind of behind that. So I do recommend to people that whether you're looking for an SEO company or whatever you're, you're thinking about to help you to be sure that, that you can see their, their body of work, right. And that they have the expertise and the experience um, that justifies them being that person for you, being that expert for you. The other thing I think is really important is to remember that, um, even when it seems like things are really saturated, I, I mentioned earlier that I feel like I, I'm trying to kind of just grow the marketplace around this term of, of professional branding. I really do think it's an ever increasing pie. So, because we're all a little bit different, right? So, so when you think about, is it saturated? I think it just means there's a lot of options. It's kind of like when you go into you know, a candy store, or ice cream store, there's a whole lot of different kinds. And one of them will be your favorite, 
one of them will be right for you. And it doesn't make the other ones less worthy of being in there. They're right for someone else. So I don't know if it's a bad thing that it's saturated. If anything, uh, it helps people to realize because, because they're surrounded by it, they start to see it more and more. And they start to say, oh, you know, it starts to normalize for them. Coaching is a great example. Having an executive coach or life coach is a totally normal thing. There are many types of them out there. Here are the kinds of benefits I might get, right? Again, I'm not a coach, so that's just me reacting to the environment. And similarly, when you start to see that there's a whole lot of different places you could learn about uh, launching your, your online course, then you start to realize like, hey, that's a doable thing. I can do that. Now, which uh, course or consultant or whatever you ultimately end up choosing to help you execute is going to be a very personal decision. And it's going to be that kind of matchmaking process. But the fact that there are many options, I don't, I, I don't think it limits um, the business person, the entrepreneur. I think if anything, it helps. It grows a bigger, bigger pie for everybody. And there's always going to be enough to go around because there's always going to be that precise matching, right? And, and my, my customer client that's right for me isn't right for another course. Uh, and there are plenty of people who I'm not right for. And they are right for someone else's course. Like in the podcast space, right? Like the podcast space is where I, uh, it keeps being thrown around. We've reached peak podcast. You know, like everybody has a podcast, which is true. It seems like everybody has <laughs> uh, their own podcast. Um, but it's just starting to scratch the surface because there are so many people that don't listen to any podcast, but they listen to the radio. And at some point, you know, it will supplant radio and you know they might have you get you get end up streaming music in a different way that you get radio right now we're not using radio whatever but ultimately i think you know just because there are more podcasts for physicians out there doesn't mean that we're competing for the same ears because those people might be drawing in people that otherwise weren't listening to podcasts and now they're listening to yours and mine they're not yeah. listening to yours instead of mine right Right. And you know what? Maybe they are, but then they bring along a neighbor or a colleague and that person likes yours instead of mine. But And they didn't know about podcasts before, right? So people can, um, you know, th there's going to be, now that we've got more podcast players, we have more people podcasting, we have more people posting about their podcasts on various social media. So there is, and there, I don't, I think we're a far, far away from peak podcasting. I think we're really still kind of in the infancy, but even if, even if we were to say we're at peak, we're definitely not at peak listenership, right? So we've got a lot of people doing podcasts, but a lot more people that are going to be listeners in the next few years. So certainly that means that your audience can grow. My audience can grow. Everybody's audience can grow because the entire industry, I think, is still growing. Well, good, because you and I both cover things that we should have learned in medical school, but didn't. So there's <laughs> right. a significant overlap, but rising tide. So, um, you know, we were talking about SEO and how we can't really offload it to someone else like we maybe thought we could. Um, so what can we outsource? Because if you're starting a business, if you're trying to increase your brand, if you're trying to have a course, like how do we parse out what we can offload to someone else, you know, because I think physicians come from a different place than non-physicians where we have some more disposable income, but less time. So we yeah. can't just do everything ourselves and whatever we want, whatever we can offload. But at some point you start to 
like you were saying with the outsourcing, it starts to not be your voice and not be on brand with you. So how do we know what we can outsource and how do we know what we should be doing ourselves? Sure. Well, so let me first just clarify. I think SEO is a perfectly fine thing to outsource. It's just that you have to be really clear first. Yeah, under direction, under your direction. <laughs> yeah. So we can't just say handle it. Mm-hmm. it, it you, you need to still manage it, but not necessarily execute it. That's right. Yeah. I, I What I think, uh, you know, sort of a guiding principle, and I'm not really an expert on what you can outsource, but my advice would be that you stay, you know, tightly connected to anything that is content creation, And go ahead and outsource things that are more about dissemination or repurposing. So as an example, you know, you might be sitting here, let's say you and I are, we're we're doing a podcast interview. Let's say we're doing it um, on uh, camera, which we aren't, but say we were, then we would have a video that could then go on Facebook and on YouTube um, and maybe even IGTV. And we would you know, someone would be able to reference the transcript and make some snappy little excerpts and put those in social media. So there'd be little bites for Pinterest and Twitter and everywhere else. And then someone might take the final transcript and polish it up into an almost done article that you might look at and then, you know, edit to perfection and put out on Medium or send to Kevin MD or who knows. So with one piece of content creation, what you and I are doing now, you might create 10 or more pieces of content around that. And the all of the little creations of those pieces does not need to be done by you. Certainly the scheduling and the posting of it does not need to be done by you. To some degree, the social media interaction with it might not need to be done by you. But you know, as everybody, this is again an area where if somebody else is managing your social media and they're responding as if they are you, I would be really wary of that because there's subtle differences, right, where somebody could represent uh, in a way that is just not how you would come across. It may not be a huge misstep, but it may not be authentic to you. That was the wrong emoji. Right? <laughs> yes. And that stuff matters. It's subtle. Yeah. But it totally matters. Plus, customers would like to know, right, that they're talking to a team member instead of to you. So you want to be transparent about that. But Anyway, I think that it's that kind of thing, you know, then taking your transcript or your blog post or whatever it is and turning it into an email newsletter and sending that out and, you know, having your website maintained where you have people who are um, opting into things on your newsletter. So someone else can do that kind of stuff for you, but the core of the content, I think you should make. So similarly, if you're making an online course, I think you ought to be the one who obviously writes the content, records the content, or figures out how you're going to deliver it, whether it's written or audio. But then if you want to offer it uh, with a you know workbook, with a downloadable, with some kind of a, a PDF, um, if you want to have an MP3 presentation along with a video, you know, those types of things are extraordinarily time consuming, but they really that's very great to be outsourced. And let somebody else load it up into your uh, your course platform, and you know, at, put it in the structure, right? And and handle all that kind of thing. Have somebody handle your bookkeeping. I mean, there's a bajillion things you can outsource, but it's the sort of core content of not only what you offer as sort of an end game, and that might just be a podcast or a blog for fun, right? It does, you don't need to be selling something, but whatever sort of the end game of of the, of you that people are coming for. Be sure that you are making that and the rest you can likely outsource. Is there anything for marketing that isn't social media or an email blast or something like that? Like, should should I be hanging up a sign in the physician lounge or should I still have business cards or 
puts them up in the bulletin board of the YMCA. What what it seems like everything nowadays is either an email or social media. But is there anything else to to marketing if we're trying to market either our practice or our you know side gig? Yeah, I mean there there are. I would say there's a couple things. You know, one thing is messaging, which I. I think a lot of people find that really annoying, right? But you get direct messages now, not only through social media, but also just on your phone um, because you've opted in, right? And so companies are are texting you with their Black Friday deals and things like yes. that. So there's that. If you want to go down that road, I, I have not gone down there. But if you want, I mean, that is a, an option for sure. You could create ads that you place in other locations. So people are familiar with the idea of a, a sponsored post or a promoted post, but you could have an ad. There's no reason that it couldn't be your ad playing in the middle of someone else's YouTube video, for example, if you wanted to go that route. I don't really recommend any of these, but since you asked, you know, could you? You could. Uh, the other, I think the overarching principle, whether you have something on paper that you want to hang out in the staff room and, and distribute in your neighborhood or whatever, you know, business cards, I, it depends again on the audience and who you intend to reach and where those people are right? Where are they spending their time? I think one of the reasons that people may feel like the sort of side gig physician online space is so saturated is because everyone's hanging out in the same place and just sort of echo chambering to each other about each other's businesses. But unless you're, unless that's your actual customer, and oftentimes it is not, right? Um, that's not the right place to be hanging out. So I, I would spend some time figuring out, you know, where is your ideal customer spending their time and whether that be a physical place or an online place, what kind of platform, what kind of communications do they like? Would they be receptive to? Um, and as always, you know, do, do something that is, um, that is interesting, right? That is, is interesting and rewarding and attention getting, but value driven. It always has to be about value because people's attention spans are short. So having an ad, uh, doesn't do a whole lot of good unless somebody can immediately say, wow, you've got something to say that will help me in whatever it is, is my goal. And uh, by the way, I will say also, since we're on this topic, I don't do ads. I've never done any ads. I'm not, um, I've never paid for any ads. I am strictly word of mouth and content marketing. So I want to reassure people that you don't have to have ads, paid ads, or some kind of sort of formal marketing strategy in order to grow an audience or a business. And you certainly don't need it to grow that professional brand in, in sort of the traditional sense that we're talking about because uh, people will people will find you um, online. I mean, I think what you need is a website and people will find you if you're talking about things that are of interest and are of value. Well, I, now I feel like my follow-up question makes it seem like I wasn't just listening to, to your <laughs> My follow-up question is going to be, if you had, you know, X amount of money to spend on marketing for your main gig or, you know, $10,000 to say for marketing on your main gig or $1,000 to spend on your side gig, how would you do it? But I think the answer to that was what you just gave, you know, find out where your audience is and who they are and what they want before you think about spending money and to ask that. Then my question suddenly becomes much more vague because I'm not telling you what my main gig is or my side gig is because my listeners have different, you know, interests. Is it yeah, it's true. I mean, I, you know, don't get me wrong. A lot of people do uh, have an advertising budget, right? Advertising and marketing is, is core to a lot of businesses. And 
it, it, I think I do have an advantage in the, in that I have been in this space for, again, a very long time, my website and my, my Twitter account dates back to like 2010 or something. Right. So I, it, I have built up uh, some of that search engine optimization, some of that Google juice um, and a lot of word of mouth. But so if I were coming right out of the block today uh, with, with nothing in the past, then I might feel like I needed to spend uh, on some ads. And I, so I don't think it's a bad thing to do that necessarily, but I will say what's a big waste of money is to make an ad that doesn't connect well with your intended audience because, you know, then you don't get results. So you can, again, you can, you can do that targeting where you put your ad in front of people that, you know, your consultant thinks are the right people for you. But if you aren't using sort of the right, if you're not connecting with them, and when I say using the right words, I hope that doesn't sound artificial. I, I want it to be a genuine representation of what it is that you do and how it is that you help. And I want it to be in a way that makes your audience members feel like, yes, this person can really help me. And then, then you click, right? So, I mean, as an example, I think because of the work that I do and the types of things that I post, I get served a lot of ads about branding. <laughs> so it's other people's branding courses. It's other people's marketing courses and Instagram courses and things like that. And by and large, so, I mean, for one thing, I do need to keep up professionally. So I might want to be invested in some of those things. But by and large, the, the ads that get served to me, they seem to be speaking to a much younger demographic, someone who's maybe a stay-at-home parent, who has sort of a, a side, very hobbyish type of business that is at a pretty low price point, right? Th th that's the vibe that I get from the ads. And that's why I don't, I don't click on those ads. I don't go and sign up for any of those services. I do need to continue to stay fresh in this space and in my own expertise, but those things don't appeal to me. I'm not the right person. So somewhere, somehow, there is a disconnect between you know, their, their um, consultant or their software's idea of targeting me out of keyword use, right? So they have identified that based on words alone, I might be their person. But it's not a good match, you know. It's just not good matchmaking. So we've spoken. That makes sense, yeah, no, it? it definitely it definitely makes sense. Actually, um, it it makes me think. You know, you had said you didn't say it, but it sounds like you were saying it could come off as disingenuous, right? That you have to choose your words carefully. But no, I mean, we do that with our patients as well. You know, we have to make sure that the language that you we're using isn't necessarily the language that we would use ourselves, but the language that they would use. Otherwise, we're not going to be understood. So you need to make sure that you're being understood. You need to make sure that your, your audience finds you because you're using not the language you want to use, but the language they use. Then they'll yeah, find you. Because you know, I, I if that, you're uh, using your language, which is not the same as their language, they're not going to find you because they're not looking. That's not where they're looking. Well, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. I mean, and in, in your medical specialty, you can think of countless examples, I'm sure. But, you know, for example, in anesthesiology, you know, I start a case by with an induction, right? By inducing someone into unconsciousness and, and achieving a state of anesthesia. But a patient isn't going to search for that. They are going to search, you know, gonna, is it safe to go to sleep? They're going to think of pregnancy. You're going right. to induce labor? What? Even I then they might going. not. So, and they're going to they're going to search for things like sleeping, you know, get knocked out, like st you know, stuff like that. I mean, those are the kinds of phrases that people use uh, to describe anesthesia when they're not in the field. So, if I were 
if I were maintaining some kind of a blog um, that was intended to just help educate lay people around anesthesia related science, I wouldn't have, I mean, I would just be using a vastly different set of terms and it's not a dumbing it down type of thing. It's just, it's using the terms that the audience already knows and where they recognize their interests to be. Um, I mean, no, you know, if you don't know what intubation is, for example, then you're not going to be interested in reading an article about it. Uh, but if you're wondering if you have to go on a breathing machine, then you might have your interest peaked and you might pop on over to learn something. So it is really about using um, that language. And I guess, as I've uh, illustrated with those ads I was just describing, it's beyond just the words. It is about the vibe right? The kind of the feel, the ad feel. And, and so that's to me where that personality comes in, where it's more than just search engine optimization. It's really about, you know, putting forth that, that sort of the brand voice, the personality, what can someone expect? What is it like to work with you? People need to get that kind of very, very quickly, very early on, um, or they'll p bounce out of the website. They'll ignore the ad. They'll switch, you know, they'll give your podcast seven seconds and move on. So it's a it's a really important thing to get right. And it's also really important to remember that it doesn't need to be right for everyone. It only needs to be right for the people for whom you're sort of that best matchmaker or you're not the matchmaker. Google is the matchmaker, but you're the right match. I've heard Seth Godin talk about that, or where if you get a one-star Yelp review, it might not be that you've done anything wrong or your food is bad. It might be that they're just not your audience. Like not everybody is your audience. So make sure that you're catering to your to your specific audience. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, I don't know. I, if you have a one star, that sounds pretty bad, right? But but yes, I mean, I do. There are people. I feel like there's there's something more complicated going on. You're either they love you or they. At least that's been my experience with my patients. Yeah, but you know, I think actually now that I'm thinking about that as you're saying it, I, I think there's some truth to that. So for you know, many people don't like to spend a lot of time at the doctor's office. They want in, they want out, they want direct answers. They don't want chit chat. They don't want to make small talk. They don't want to tell you. And so when you know, if they go to a physician who is, you know, one of those gems who is able to spend 45 minutes and, you know, get to know you and your family and your neighbors and everything about you. I mean, in, in some ways, that's like the unicorn physician that doesn't exist anymore because of, you know, uh, insurance and all kinds of other external issues. But you can see how a patient who really wants one type of experience, but gets the other, uh, neither one is bad, yeah. right? but they're very different. And so if you're not a small talker and you don't want to do any of that, then that's not your doc. I don't know if that warrants a one-star review, but I can see how something it could be, you know, very much not uh, what somebody wants. Yeah. My experience is if you're going to write a review, you're either going to write a one-star or a five. Because if you're, if it's a three, you're not going to be motivated enough to actually write a review. Like, yeah, that was a tepid experience. Let me write about it. Yeah, that's true. It's hard to get people to, uh, when they're feeling kind of right down the middle, that's a lot more work to get reviews like that. Exactly. So, okay, so you teach courses on branding, which we've talked about, social media, which we've talked about, and speaking. So we haven't spoken about that yet. And I think we're we're running short on time here. So if we could just speak a little, speak a little, get very meta, you know, your <laughs> brand is as, as if this isn't meta enough. Your brand yeah. is branding. Um, and now we're going to speak about speaking. So sure. could you just give us a little intro into the world of keynote speaking? Because I feel like for physicians, there's some element of imposter syndrome. Like, like in order to 
speak about public health, you need to be Anthony Fauci and anything less than Anthony Fauci and you really have no business speaking. So can you dispel some of that in, in the physician community and then get us into first steps? Like where do we begin if we want to do public speaking or get into keynote speaking? Do we start at the comedy cellar or <laughs> you know, get on a soapbox in Manhattan Street Corner and just start talking or, you know, just sign up for a TED Like, where do we? Yeah. What do we do? Well, so the, first of all, I, what a great example with Dr. Fauci. I mean, Dr. Fauci obviously is one of the foremost experts in his field. One, the thing that's really important to keep in mind about paid professional speaking is, I mean, first of all, you have to be able to give a great presentation. So I'm just going to put that aside as a, as a given, right? You cannot be boring to listen to. You have to be engaging. You have to know how to give and structure a great talk. There's a lot of science behind that, and it is a skill you can learn. But let's put that aside for a second. The important thing to know is that what makes a great presenter is not that they know everything. It's that they teach you something. So Fauci knows everything. And also, frankly, I find him enjoyable to listen to, and he is a good teacher. But a person with much less knowledge or years of experience could give an incredibly effective presentation on a similar topic, as long as what they did is give the audience something useful that they can now do differently, think differently about, know in a, in a way that they didn't know before. And, you know, oftentimes in medicine, I mean, I think everyone can, can relate to this. You sit in the audience and you listen and someone gives a talk for an hour and they cram every possible detail and every study ever made. And it's like a whirlwind. And when it's over, you know, you just want to take a deep breath and you think, whew, that person sure knows a lot. And in my mind, that's a fail. That's a failed presentation, a failed speaking opportunity. It's not for your audience to walk away thinking you know everything. It is for them to walk away knowing something new, something that they care about. So then where do we start? Where do we start? How do we like get our first speaking opportunity rather than just, or I guess specifically paid speaking opportunity, right? Because yeah, fine, grand rounds. I can go to my local hospital and see if they want me to talk about otolaryngology. They're always happy for me to go talk about that. But, you know, what about paid gigs? Yeah. So uh, first of all, I will say, I think there's a, um, a really limited view of what kind of opportunities are paid in medicine. Um, I know that early on when I started talking to people about getting paid, I was getting paid to do, you know, just the opening session at a CME meeting, but it was the keynote and it was, they would pay pretty handsomely. I thought, you know, 10,000, 15, $20,000 for a presentation that I, you know, could have given in a different setting of, you know, for no money, um, which is the way academics sort of is. But when I first started talking about making money as a, as a speaker, people always assumed that I was speaking for pharma or for medical device or something like that. And that was sort of their entire worldview of what you could be paid for as a speaker. And just like with any other side gig, you might have topics that are physician-centric or totally different. So that's one thing. Not all of your public speaking needs to be about medical stuff. It can be about other stuff that you have expertise in. And therefore, you have an entire new world of industry and audiences to be to want to hear that stuff. So you've got to really broaden your view of what it means to speak and what are the different opportunities for speaking, especially now as things are, are virtual, right, with COVID. I mean, the speaking prescription 
my course, which is 12 weeks long, I have been teaching that for over four years. So in the beginning, I only was thinking about, you know, podium presentations and largely I was thinking about it in the medical capacity. But over the years with, you know, I learned from my students, right? I learned um, all of the different fascinating things that people are passionate about that they want to teach people about. And there is an audience for it. you got to find the audience. In a way, it's similar as what we've been talking about with search engine optimization. If you have speaking topics that are easy to understand and are digestible, feel packaged, uh, not packaged in an artificial way, but packaged in a tangible way, like I'm, I can shop online and I can say, yes, I want that. I want that experience to listen to that speech or that presentation. And you have a good website where people can come and get that sort of taste of what it's like to work with you, where they can get some impression of how you are on stage. Um, and importantly, that you let people know you are available for speaking opportunities. I mean, if I just give like one freebie to the audience listening here, you got to let people know that you are a speaker. Most people are terrified of public speaking, right? That is, I think, common knowledge that that most people hate uh, public speaking and dread it, it, it completely. So there's plenty of experts out there who are not speakers, or if they are speakers, they're reluctant speakers, and they're not going to be your best speakers. And event planners know that. So if they find you and they find your stuff to be interesting, it's also super to know that you have a contact portal where they can reach out to you to inquire about your availability. And it's really good when you're setting up, you know, that opportunity for them to connect with you, that you also begin to set the stage that you do this as a profession, right? You are professional. And I'll say it again, because it bears repeating, you have to be able to deliver a professional level talk, right? If you're going to charge somebody this kind of money, you cannot show up and give like a, a, a mediocre lecture. It has to be good. But assuming that you that you can do that, then it makes sense that when someone says, yeah, I'm, I'm interested to hear more about your availability, that you have a couple of little forms in that email, uh, in the email form, right? Like what's their name? What's their organization? What's the date of the event? How many people are intended in the audience? What is the budget, right? And just start to lay that groundwork because those are all totally important conversations. And I think it helps for people to, uh, just to understand what, right from the beginning, I mean, before you even start talking about fees and contracts and deliverables and, and things like that, for them to understand that you're professional. And then, of course, you've got to deliver that. And the whole package needs to be professional. Not just your speaking, but like all of your communications and even probably the way that you bill them, I would think, needs to be needs to be on brand. Yeah, absolutely. It It, it does need to be on brand. I mean, it doesn't need to be overly polished or unduly expensive, or, you know, you don't need to be putting up sort of a facade of, of what you aren't. But if you take yourself seriously and you present yourself seriously as a business, then other people will as well. Obviously, if you don't present yourself in that way, it's hard for other people to perceive you in that way. Plus, there's no amount of money that would make it worthwhile to not have a good contract that's been looked at by an attorney because things will happen there will be contingency plans. You know, your flight won't make it or there'll be a family emergency and you can't go. And you've got to be able to figure out what, what happens if they've already paid you and, you know, how do you give them that money back? Or, or even worse, like, can they sue you for you not showing up and that ruining their event? I mean, there's a lot of things to consider besides just like, hey, I'm going to get paid to give a talk. And also there are a lot of ways to quote unquote, get paid 
that aren't a check. Sometimes it is just having that exposure or really establishing yourself as that thought leader because you have all of these public appearances, right? And 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 you have all these gigs sort of under your belt. That often leads to other paid opportunities or other, you know, promotions or or just other ways in which you get paid more, right? Also, some things are are you know, you get to travel perhaps, or you get to have experiences that you otherwise wouldn't get to have, or you just feel really passionately about that issue, right? Like, I mean, I'm obviously as a podcast guest with you, I'm sitting here spending some time with you uh, because it's fun. So, you know, you can be a professional speaker and still do other things for free because you like to. And you never know, right? Improving your network, other opportunities, it's all feeds onto itself. Yeah, absolutely. So there's a lot of ways to get paid. But I think back to sort of your basic, your question of like, how do you get started? I think you get started understanding the business of public speaking. And that's the part that's a mystery for most people because they do, they get, they could go to Toastmasters and learn how to speak a little bit better. Uh, they, they, you know, generally it's pretty accessible to get some coaching on how to deliver a better talk. They know they can practice some things. We do have in the speaking prescription some, you know, even more kind of next level um, techniques, but a lot of it is more about, you know, how do you find the paying audience? Yeah. How do you find the audience for the thing that you want to talk about? Um, and then how do you put yourself in front of them in a way that makes them recognize, hey, I want this person at my next event. And then how do you negotiate a, through the sort of complexities of setting up that professional contract? And also, you know, for many of the, of your audience and mine, what are the ramifications for the place where you work? Because if you are already an employee somewhere, you know, is it permitted? Is it within your contract that you could get paid externally? Or would that be considered like a double dip? Um, and what if it's on a totally different topic? Then does that offer you some protection? You know, can you be thought of as speaking on behalf of your employer? Usually that's a big no-no. People don't often want that, um, except for traditional things like academic grand rounds. So all of these things, you know, you need to know how to navigate through the business of public speaking. And, and that's what my course is about. Again, really specifically to the physician lens, because I'm sure there's plenty of other courses and ways to learn about public speaking in general. But for physicians, uh, there's a lot about it that's very unique. So I think we have to, we have to wrap up. But before we do, mm -hmm. When, when we look at your professional page on your Twitter, Twitter account, everything, it really looks like you've got everything together. Everything is polished to a T. You, uh, you, you've got your, the branding is down, the speaking is down, the social media is down. And then you, you have the, your, the transformed event where it looks like you're giving PowerPoint presentations on the beach while doing yoga with your med school anatomy lab partner, right? <laughs> Wait, no, I have to, I have to um, jump in right there. It is a podium-free zone, Brad. We do not do any PowerPoints. No PowerPoints. Okay, we okay, do fine. We do the yoga. <laughs> okay. And we do the learning, but we don't do PowerPoint. Okay. <laughs> Thank you for clarifying. So what's the least glamorous part of your professional life? Like, give us a little peek behind the curtain. Wow. You know, the, I, I think part of the... I mean, this is a great question. I'm obviously going to just give away that I haven't thought about that in advance of, of now. Uh, probably the least glamorous part is, you know, because I have been doing this for a long time, is, try, you know, when I think about what content I want to make next, I think for me, I get stuck in a rut where I think, well, I've already talked about that. 
And over the years, I have talked about a lot of things and more than once. But I, what I need to remember and what you know, you and, and the audience ought to remember as well is that even my most amazing fans have not watched or listened to or read every piece of content that I've done, right? Not even close because everybody's busy. So I will sometimes get very bogged down in what should I do next that would be really value added, that's totally unique, that they haven't heard before. Um, and, and sometimes I will get sort of in a spiral where I just, I have like a writer's block, right? Where I can't think of anything new to deliver. And that's pretty unglamorous. And so then I'll just, I take a step back and I go to, go to the sources, right? I go to my students, I go to my social platforms and I ask people what's on their minds. And, you know, a lot of times they answer with stuff that I feel I already have content pieces for. But what it reminds me is maybe there's a different angle. Maybe there's something new to say. Maybe there's a refresh. Maybe I didn't communicate it that well in the first place. Like, is there a nuance that I haven't thought about, right? So that I can go and do something um, to continue sort of feeding the beast, if you will, like making making new stuff, writing about new stuff, talking about new stuff. Because I think at, on the business side, you feel like you should always have new stuff. I think there's a is a good tale of caution there, though, that in reality, you don't. I mean, there's only but so much that your audience wants from you. And they just want, they want that thing. And they want it, you know, they want it really well. Um, but they don't want everything. So. Or maybe you could do it into a different vehicle. Right. Like yeah. you did it as a webinar or maybe you can do it as a different. Right. You can you can change the venue so that you can go where they are rather than having them come where to to where you are. Yeah, absolutely. So that I mean, that feels pretty unglamorous, right? Deciding what you ought to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> that feels unglamorous, but it's a lot of fun. It's so much fun. And, you know, I certainly wouldn't be doing any of this if I didn't enjoy it. And so uh, to me that the reward of seeing other people's ideas really take off and for them getting the kind of success that they were hoping for, whether it's that promotion, those speaking gigs or their business grows or whatever it is. When I see that kind of thing happening, that is worth so much more to me than any uh, any course tuition. Right? It's just it's just so amazing. I really really enjoy it, and so I I don't think I'll ever stop. I'll keep coming up with stuff uh, to serve the needs of the people who are asking questions. And we are looking forward to seeing it. So, MarjorieStieglerMD.com. Uh, we can find your your courses on branding, on social media on speaking. We can find your books. We can find your podcast. Is there anything that I, oh, the the retreat? When's the next retreat? Yeah, the next retreat um, was uh, in, well, we, we hope to do it in January, but I don't think it's going to be January of this year. So we just do one a year. I would say stay tuned. But you know, it's a great, uh, great reason to come over to transform.org and put your name on the wait list. Because when we do, when we do open up and we are able to travel internationally and we do it, uh, it's going to sell out. Great. Well, looking forward to it. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Brad. Such a great show with Dr. Stiegler. Before we end, don't forget to reach out to Medevolve. For those of us who know how hard it is to build and maintain a sustainable business, we understand that bringing the right help to achieve our goals is really important. Get in touch with them for data-driven analytics, workflow automation, and medical billing technology and services by going to drpodcastnetwork.com slash Medevolve and get going on the right path. That was Dr. Bradley Block at the Physician's Guide to Doctoring. He can be found at physiciansguidetodoctoring.com or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have a question for a previous guest or have an idea for a future episode, 
send a comment on the webpage. Also, please be sure to leave a five-star review on your preferred podcast platform. We'll see you next time on the Physician's Guide to Doctoring.